Morgan. And I'm Isabel. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About nonprofit work. About funding shortfalls. About the specific and not so specific world of the Pacific Northwest. About having a badass mom who makes you feel bad. About trying to follow your dreams. About a pretty intricate community support system. And also just about like everyday shit. About a big box of condoms. (laughs) But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are going to be discussing Heartbeat Braves by Pamela Sanderson. Part of the Crooked Rock series. This is the first book. Do you want to read the back or do you want me to? I don't care. Here you read it. Okay. Rayanne Larson knows firsthand the struggles of Native people. Working at Crooked Rock gives her the chance to do work for Indians living in the city. She has high hopes for the center's progress until its new leader hands her special project over to his underachieving and distractingly sexy nephew. (laughs) Henry Grant's life is going just fine. Though he knows Rez life, he's always been an urban Indian. He has no interest in the Indian-centered job his uncle pushes on him. That is, until he meets Rayanne. She's attractive and smart and like no woman he has ever met. Rayanne is determined to keep her distance, but when the center faces a crisis, the two of them are forced to work together. She can no longer ignore the sparks between them. Pamela Sanderson is a citizen of the Karuk tribe. She's an urban Indian living in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so that's also the author bio there at the end. So where do we start? I want to start at the Crooked Rock Urban Indian Center in crisis. I want to start at that moment. Well, that's where the book starts. Exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So the Crooked Rock Urban Indian Center is a small strip mall nonprofit that is currently, when we pick up, about to move into a much larger space that it acquired from the city, a former like public school building, Mm -hmm. I believe. And this is going to allow them to do much more programming. The thing that I loved about this opening so much is that this author was so good at world building in so few pages. Like, it's in a strip mall. There isn't a ton of stuff going on. Like, the director of this nonprofit is both a pack rat and extremely capable, but also so disorganized. Yeah. And then, since she's not our heroine, our heroine is Rayanne directly underneath her. Like, we see the mess through Rayanne's eyes, which is both, like, I love my boss, I think she's a great boss, and potentially a good mentor. Her, but her mess is distracting and like yeah. potentially bad for the nonprofit and like hard to work under and like this mismatch of complex feelings that were immediately introduced with Rayanne was so well done. Yeah. And then everything's sort of just kind of falling apart, but there's so much hope about this move. And then like into that scene, there's this super hot man just like parked on her desk. And I'm like, oh, this was so good. I want to point out something. The world building for the the nonprofit is real and so relatable and, and easy to connect with. I will say, though, I realized reflecting for all the programming that they're excited to start, we never hear the programming that they currently do. Yeah. None. It I have no idea what they're currently doing. Everything that they talk about doing, they're like, we'll be able to do this once we get into the larger space. It seems like the only thing that I know that they got off the ground was taking elderly Native folks to medical appointments. Yeah. 
that seems to be like <laughs> yeah, what they've done. Yeah, and they just got the bus right. when the story opened. Right, Tommy had so, been taking them in his personal car. But that does really illustrate the issue of nonprofits, which is like, you need money to do programming, but no one wants to give you money until you have programming. Right. And it is this vicious cycle that keeps getting brought up. This is like a little inside baseball. But their funding is so dependent on the board Mm -hmm. filtering money through their various reservations. Mm -hmm. But they don't have grant money. Like, she's constantly writing grants. Yeah. But they don't have any grant money, which would be the way to get the program. I I guess they just all spend it on the bus and the building. I don't know, in any case. Right. And so the executive board, which is made up of several tribes, because this is a nonprofit in the city, and its whole initiative is to make space for Native people to find each other and, like, be around each other in a way that they feel invisible in the city. Mm -hmm. And, like, the idea of this nonprofit is to make them visible. And in that way, it makes sense that the executive board is from several different tribes and they're Mm -hmm. all funneling money and they want to see results and they haven't seen any. So, like, they were given a hard, you have a year to fix the boat. Mm -hmm. And we open the book at that year's end. So everything feels very precarious in the same way that, like, many nonprofits feel very precarious. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, it's incredible that there's like this great world building. Like, I can tell you how they get their funding. Mm-hmm. I'm perplexed by it, but I can tell you how it happens and I can tell you who's on the board and everything, but mm-hmm. I can't tell you what they actually do. But I think your point about visibility is crucial because it is critical in this story that it is taking place in some kind of major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. I don't think the city is ever named. It's not. But it has like trendy restaurants Mm -hmm. and specific neighborhoods and the idea behind having like an urban Indian identity as I learned through the lens of this book is that living in a metropolitan area is you know it's a melting pot of all sorts so when you're living on a reservation you're with people from the same tribe the same basic community the same basic tradition and when you go to a city it's harder to find people who share that native identity Mm -hmm. and also you're going to meet people from all sorts of different tribes and different backgrounds and different traditions And so the idea of this center is to bring people with that same experience together with some interesting stuff like they book this children's dance group and Mm -hmm. it talks about how they kind of represent a meshing of different traditions, Mm -hmm. different kinds of dance and costume. And there were moments in this book where it felt like it was interjecting and where I felt interrupted to be informed by something. Mm -hmm. But most of the book, all of this information that's very much about like this urban native identity and this like work in nonprofit. It was Mm -hmm. all just like very nicely woven through the story. I think that's right. And like one of the things that I did love, especially about that scene where they're seeing the students do a jingle dance and Henry, our hero, turns to our heroine, Rayanne, and he goes, did you jingle dance as a kid? And she goes, no, it's not part of my tradition, but I do want to dance. Like, this is so wonderful. And there were a couple of moments like that where like, no, that's not part of my tradition. Mm -hmm. And like, even speaking into the diversity of Native experiences, I think was like so Mm -hmm. important for this book to be like urban metropolitan centers pull people from all over. Yeah. Everybody has a tradition and like this interweaving
weaving, as you say, is, I thought, very thoughtful and mm-hmm. very well done, well executed. Yeah, it centered an important point that I think is really lost in conversations about destructive imagery of Native Americans. Yeah. And this is the case with like most racist mm-hmm. ideologies that it creates a monolith out mm-hmm. of huge and diverse population of people. Yep. Like, I mean, as far as like a book with a project, I think this did it the most elegantly and the most affectingly. Like, I'm trying to think back to other books we've read that had a very clear project. Like, mm-hmm. I think of Celestial Mechanics. Mm-hmm. I think of even just The like, Right Swipe. Yeah, or The Suffragette Scandal. Like, Yeah, and those felt like really ham-fisted compared to this. Which created, like, a sense of, like, those always had these, like, moments of pause to be like, welcome to a very special episode of yeah. your sexuality, which, right. like, this doesn't do. It's Ever. always, because it's because it's a part of who the people are, it's right. a part of their work, it's a part of their everyday lived experience. And the fact that they're always conscious and unconscious of it yes. is conveyed and kind of relayed empathetically to the readers in this really, I mean, just great way. And that's right. a really difficult thing to do because very talented writers struggle with it can't do it yeah and I think one of the things that like especially as we're talking about celestial mechanics or other books that felt like a very special episode the way that I think this author utilized those moments was like there was so much humor in this book like there's this moment a very specific moment near the end where they're talking about getting a food truck and she's like yeah it'll have fry bread and then they're like you shouldn't have fry bread because that's like a dark moment for our people and like represents this awesome awful colonial overlord and then there's a moment where like but I like fried things (laughs) like I just thought that was just one of those moments where it's like there are lots of narratives here and they're interlocked in a way that's actually pretty hard to suss out and maybe not even useful to do so anymore there's this moment where it's like well the new thing that we're doing is just like all the other ways that our culture has been forced to evolve so like what do we do with this idea of tradition as we carry it forward and like the way that this book talked about that I thought was with such conscious unconscious thread but also like this underlying affection and joy yeah I think this is a slice of life this is a a real slice of life novel and that applies even to the hot button TM issues like race and Mm -hmm. sex this book thinks about those things and presents those things and discusses those things as a slice of life and I think it's definitely part of it is the fact that Pamela Sanderson is a native woman Mm -hmm. I think it's clear that she's telling a story for herself Mm -hmm. and for people like her so all of the stuff that stands out to me is something like beyond slice of life. That's because I'm a white lady mm-hmm. and I haven't had these experiences. Whereas I feel like when I read The Right Swipe, I feel like that book was written to tell me a white lady something. Mm-hmm. And Celestial Mechanics was written to tell me a straight lady something. Mm-hmm. Or Suffragette Scandal was written to tell me post-feminism, you know, mm-hmm. third waiver something. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons Own Voices is so important mm-hmm. because this actually does a project well Mm -hmm. without doing a project because the simple fact of like not centering whiteness Mm -hmm. is what's most powerful. Right. Like there are no acknowledged white people with speaking roles in this book. It's not something you notice Mm -hmm. as you're reading it because it's 
irrelevant. It was a really striking experience in hindsight. But mm-hmm. as I was reading it... You're just so engrossed in the world. It's just like yeah, it such... Was, it was like a nice relaxing part of my day. Yeah. You know, even though there's like a lot of tension and a lot of suspense around yeah. getting that funding space in the and building. the funding and the continued like slow burn of Linda and Arnie. And, yeah. You know, it was a lot of stuff like that. But one of the things I get so mad about are like these ridiculous over-the-top problems that seem impossible when you don't really need that to create tension and excitement. You don't need someone's like, the carriage crashed and Mm -hmm. then my parents were eaten by wolves Mm -hmm. and I watched it and then I was an orphan. (laughs) Now I'm afraid of thunderstorms. You know, like, you don't need that. You just need, like... First of all, personally attacked by a witch to be wicked right there. (laughs) It was a little too much. It's fucking coming for me. I see it. But, like, you don't need all of that. You can just have, like... A lovely story. Well, you can have tension that comes from a real place. Like, something that I can really connect with. Like, I had this really great apartment for a really great deal. And, of course, it was too good to be true. And now I'm about to be homeless if I don't figure something out in two weeks. And, like, two weeks is no time. Like, it's a full-time job to find an apartment in two weeks, which is something our hero faces. And then having to kind of go back to his mother's Mm -hmm. house after doing a really dramatic exit with the full speech and everything. So having to eat crow (laughs) to your mom and your mom being like, you're an adult now. You have to do your own laundry in this house. Uh, I loved that. Or even like the moments where our heroine, Rayanne, is like dealing with her grandfather. Yeah, having to take a caregiver role in that kind of tension Mm -hmm. as an adult child. And some of my favorite parts in the book are our heroine, Rayanne, and her grandfather Mm -hmm. and our hero, Henry, and his mother Mm -hmm. trying to forge an adult relationship with their parents because they're both fresh out of college. Mm -hmm. I mean, that stuff just like was stuff I point noted and stickered and Mm -hmm. wrote in my notebook about all the time because the book is so good at capturing something true and not going over the top. Yes. It was remarkably restrained. (laughs) Yes. Especially (laughs) for this show and what we read. And I didn't realize how much I needed it. I did not realize how much I needed a book that had breath in it. Yeah. So should we talk about our heroine, our hero, their meet cute? Their meet cute, we already, I mean, he Mm -hmm. just... He arrives at the center and is sitting on her desk in all of his cocky, arrogant (laughs) glory. Yeah, he's given a job that is... Drove me crazy to find out that his uncle Arnie was funding the Crooked Rock Urban Indian Center just for his nephew to have a job. Yeah. But, like, would not just give them that money that he was paying his nephew, which would have gotten them out of, I'm sure, a couple of jams. Yeah. He does a really great job of proving his value by using connections that he has because he has always lived in the city and as someone from Chicago envy the hell out of people who have lived here their whole lives because you know they know like what dentist to go to Mm -hmm. and like if they want to buy a house they know the mortgage guy Mm -hmm. and like you know having that kind of relationship that's another thing that rang true but did not bang a gong next to my head Mm -hmm. which was like a certain amount of extra privilege comes with being in your hometown and knowing how to navigate that space. Yeah, and being baked into that community where you can really really just show up at places. Like, there's a moment where it's like, oh, I'm not going to send an email. And then Linda, the director, is like, then they won't know we're coming. And he's like, yeah, and that has a lot of value too. And I was like, oh. knowing how to navigate everything. But anyways, he just gets his nephew this job and he's very upfront. He's like, nepotism is how this world works and I'm going to make it work for you. Which also rings super true. Super true. And the book never, like, apologizes 
praises for it. They talk about how annoying it is, mm-hmm. but the book never is like condemns Arnie for no. what he's doing. Which it could have easily done. Easily. And I think one of the ways in which Arnie's nepotism, since we see it so dynamically both through Ray Ann's eyes and through Henry's, where Henry's like deeply embarrassed. He's embarrassed that he needs a job. He's embarrassed because his dream is to become his friend's band's promoter, which he knows surprisingly little about. <laughs> yeah, how to be a manager. Yeah, like, like yeah. lots of dreams of this guy, but like maybe not a lot of follow through. So he's so deeply embarrassed. And then when he's given like Rayanne's project, he's like mortified. And there is a really good scene where she is like righteously and deeply upset. And like he basically makes a speech. He's been practicing this speech for like two whole days to be like, I'm so sorry. This isn't what I intended. I want you to still be the lead. And she just like gives him her whole binder. And she's like, well, if you're the project manager now, like here's everything and I'm not going to help you. And he's like, I don't know how to read your notes. Like, I don't know what to do. How do I prioritize this? And she's like, I'm not going to help you. And then he's like, if I fail, we all fail. You care about this. So like, please help me. I'll give you all the credit. And through that, like his real earnestness where it's like, he's been given this thing, but he doesn't want to fuck it up. Mm -hmm. And he knows how much work she's put into it Mm -hmm. really softens the blow of Arnie taking it out of Rand's hands. Yeah. And he does a good job and you can tell he's making choices for the right reason. So they have that retreat, which Mm -hmm. is at a location that he was able to secure because of his connections. And he is doing all the cooking and his uncle is like, you can't be cooking. You've got to be out there networking. networking. You know, his motivation is this is where I can be most helpful. This is what I'm best at. And his uncle is like, good job making muffins. Everyone will think you're nice now. You know, those kind of calculated. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm a little bit worried for his dream of being a band manager because you have to think like Arnie to be good at that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. But I think that also gets at this idea of like there are people who are leaders and people who aren't. Yeah. Like there's this huge emphasis and this book says so much about what it is to work. Yes. Uh, Even in an idealistic place it's about work, it's about nepotism, it's about getting money, it's about finding a reason to wake up in the morning, pushing, going outside so Rayanne can't get a food delivery program started at work so she does one herself. She delivers food to seniors for their long weekends and really thinks about, you know, what is comfort food to a Native American Mm -hmm. and so like it's a barbecued sandwich but it's elk Mm -hmm. right (laughs) or it's meatloaf but it's bison you know that kind of thing I thought was really interesting and also that the food is more representative of comfort of community of Uh connection yeah and that like she goes out of her way and her after hours to make the project work and also the food is representative of the fact that like Native peoples aren't secluded on a reservation from the rest of American culture. Right. And the the rest of popular experience. Right. Which I, you know, is another one of those ways that, like, I never realized that until this moment when I was talking <laughs> through out loud. Like, it never bings a gong next to your head. Which I think, actually, now that I'm talking through it, shows a respect for the reader. Yes. Like, the reader will understand what I'm saying. And if they don't, don't this book isn't to. for them. You could still enjoy this book without getting all of nuance of it. Yes. You can still enjoy this book. But I think something that I get frustrated with is the author constantly explaining to me why something is important or what something means or like here is my visual metaphor did you know it's a visual metaphor (laughs) can I lay this out for you this visual metaphor did you get it Uh, did you get it did you get it and so I uh, I hate that fair super fair I hate that and I think yeah it comes from a this book comes from a place of respecting the intelligence of the reader Mm -hmm. like I said so much about work which is something 
I don't even particularly like my job. And my life is so much about my work, mm-hmm. you know. And contemporary romance, it's really hard to find one that feels like it has a full 40-hour work week embedded into it. And this one does and says a lot about work. And I think when we talk about her manager, Linda, mm-hmm. she's someone with a lot of energy and a lot of ideas and, like, no execution. Absolutely which none. Which is what makes, actually, I think, a good manager. Because then you have people beneath you, like Rianne. Who can do it. Who can organize you and help achieve your vision. Right. And if they had, like, a little more funding and, like, one more staff person, they could have made that work. And that's the thing. There's this moment where Linda gets in front of the executive board and she's, like, laying out their plan and she's, like, talking about it. And she's so full of, like, vim and vinegar. And it's, like, so clear that she can articulate the project, the mission, and what they're doing. But her execution just isn't there. And then, like, later on in the retreat, Rayanne has an opportunity to pitch her project for, like, an elderly food program, but also, like, community center. And they're like, we don't have time for that. We don't have the money for that. We don't. And it's because she couldn't articulate her points and her vision in a way that communicated to the board like Linda could. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't have that ability. Right. It frustrated me so much that she just sat down and said, thank you. Yeah, and that she didn't, like, fight harder for it. Or, like, is there another way that I can explain this to you? She didn't even try to, like, she didn't even pose it as, like, what questions do you have? Right. Which is what you should do. Like, yeah, they'll give you statements and say, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Here's a statement. Right. But also just, like... It gives you a reason to answer each point. Or, like, let me allay some of your fears. Or, like, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say... Like, she didn't do any of that. Like, her presentation ended. They threw three questions at her and she's like, I guess you're not going to fund it. And she sat down. Part of it is, like, she did literally just graduate college. She's, like, 21. But I don't know. I think there are a lot of people who, when they're 21, are, like, know how to present an idea and communicate an idea. But not everyone does. And right. like, some just, people never will. It's be- just not the way their brains work. Right, because it is a very particular skill set to show people what they don't yet want so that they want it. Yeah. The book just does a great job of illustrating. It like never condemns Linda, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's like, she really dropped the ball. Yeah. It makes that sound at Linda all the time where it's like, <sighs> But because we're in Rayanne's perspective about mm-hmm. Linda, so there's so much admiration in it. But it also never condemns Rayanne, even though we hear Henry's thoughts of like, why did she just sit down? Like yeah. she it never condemns anyone for being different from their max capacity possibility. Right. And like the same thing with Henry, like if he could focus, he mm-hmm. could find a place to live. If he could budget right, if he could be a bit more flexible, mm-hmm. he could find a place to live. But he has a vision for his life mm-hmm. and he wants wants to live within that vision. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. Resiliency and flexibility are two themes that this book is working really hard on. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, there seems to be this like movement of like, okay, that didn't work. Scale back. Mm-hmm. Scale back. But it's not subtle. It's yeah. scale back. Yeah. And I think like, only in talking about this, where it's like, that really struck me, mm-hmm. where it's like, you're not down and out. Don't give up. But scale it back. Like, make it tangible. Make mm-hmm. it reasonable for now the new constraints. Yeah. And I think like there is a version of that story that does look like settling but like wasn't in Mm -hmm. this book and that's such a fantastic line to move through. His apartment hunt was crazy and like oh my (laughs) god it was just like it was just a snarling mess and like then his friend drops out and then he's looking for an even smaller budget Mm because he won't have a roommate and then like there's this weird tense moment because like he and Rayanne have begun their physical relationship and she's like, you can 
stay on my couch. And like both of them are like, it's way too soon for that. Mm -hmm. And like, thanks for the offer. But like, I don't want to do it that way. And like those kinds of like where the ground is always shifting. Yeah. And so you have to keep your feet. You've got to be flexible, right? Right. So he has to move in with his mom. And then he has to, even though they're like, it's too soon, they still end up spending every night together, which lots of people do. Yeah. Sometimes even for years. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was like kitchen sink slice of life in the way that nothing else we've read has been. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just so nice. Yes. To read something like that and to feel like once again, and I think I've felt this way with Laura Kinsale, where even though she's writing these historicals and fantastical things happen, your okay relationship is worthy of a story. Yes. Like you don't need this huge romantic over the top, like you just getting by with someone else is a love story. Mm -hmm. And it's a love story we're sharing. I think people consider romance as escapism in a very narrow way. Mm -hmm. Like someone's got to be wealthy to absolve certain problems Mm -hmm. without appreciating, which is a fun kind of book to read, sure. But I wish there was more like Heartbeat Braves. I totally agree because it does the things that are like the romantic of the everyday. This book was so good at like the awkward things. There's this moment where he hasn't told his mom, even though he's living with her briefly about Rayanne yet. And it like comes up because his uncle Arnie's over there and he's like, I thought you had this thing with this girl. And he's like, you know, she daggers at his uncle and then his mom's like oh why haven't you told me about her and like are you using condoms and he's like god mom of course she has a box of them and then he's like I didn't it's just like (laughs) I didn't mean it like that and it's like there's so much of like that but even more importantly I think one of the things that I loved about this book that I miss in other romances is that this is a full lived in community like each of them have friends each of them have a social circle Mm. each of them have other things outside of their relationship where they have space away from each other to talk about it or not and like the moments where she's not with Henry and not talking about Henry are just as important to her growth trajectory as anything else and I love that and there's this scene where they're like racing back to the event venue at the end she and Esther her co-worker friend and Esther's been wearing these heels that she's not used to and then Rayanne's like jump on my back I'll carry you and it was just like I saw it so clearly I've been in a situation like that with a friend before where she's just and I'm like you know it's only a block like let's do this piggyback style and then when Esther's like god I hope I remember to wear underwear. <laughs> it's like, that was just so adorably real. Yeah. And I think, for example, the relationship between Rayanne and Henry isn't perfect to everyone. Mm-hmm. Esther and Tommy do feel uncomfortable with mm-hmm. their public displays of affection. Indeed. And make it clear. And Esther also tells, like, Henry goes to her to ask for advice. And Esther tells him, like, I don't know her that well. Like, we work together. Like, we're friendly at work. But mm-hmm. I don't know her that that well so maybe you should talk to someone else about this mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of truism felt exactly right exactly right what was your weirdest part honestly the conceit of losing the building and like I don't work a ton with city governments and they are mm-hmm. bureaucratic miasmas so like I was willing to suspend disbelief but it felt really so there's this moment where they've like gone through most of the bills of sale they have lawyers they have a contract uh-huh. and then 
suddenly they can't get a hold of anyone at the building that they're supposed to be purchasing. And then when they go there, they're like basically kicked off the property. And then when they go to City Hall, there's like this, for lack of a better word, just like underling who's like come to this room at this time. And then they do. And then there's no meeting. And it like, so it felt incredibly pointed. Mm -hmm. But like that pointedness never had like its own entity or like its own antagonist. It was like a bureaucratic failure that was pointed. Well, it's because racism is institutional in the United States. Right. So there's not really like, I think oftentimes people get frustrated when you talk about something being racist, like saying like the police force is racist Mm -hmm. because they're like, I know cops. The cop I know isn't racist. Right. And it's like, well, that may be true, but I'm not saying each individual cop is racist. I'm saying the the institution. institution. Like there's a bigger Uh, ephemeral, right? There's an ephemeral idea (laughs) that Mm -hmm. is racist and it's pervasive and it's like a fog that Mm -hmm. covers everyone and makes us party to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not an individual. And it's really interesting when I was reading this book, I was having the same experience you were where I was like, there's no way something this pulled together, this organized with lawyers and a contract with lawyers and a contract could fall through. Mm -hmm. And then they brought up treaty rights. They brought up treaty rights But I also had a personal experience at my workplace Mm -hmm. where something similar happened. Yikes. And a city government was just like, doesn't exist. It was like... (laughs) What? I have a series of emails and that you've responded to. And that's like... And they're like, well, the bureaucratic rules said XYZ needed to approve it. So everything here is moot. And you're like, what? Yeah. The bureaucracy feels so solid because you do so much work through it. Right. You spend so much time. And anything else that you spend a lot of time on makes it real. Right. Like, even if you ponder the fact that you're a pixie long enough, like, it'll become very real to you. And then... The fact of the matter is, like, it can also be undone in the same way. Which is insanity. And maybe that's, like, another mark of this, like, excellent writing. Because I was so constantly incensed by this bureaucratic morass. Like, after, like, everything, they're, like, the inspectors. And they, like, checked for asbestos. Like, they'd been to the site multiple times. And so then I'm, like, what is under Linda's, like, mountains of paperwork that she hasn't checked? Because we already know that, like, Linda's dropped the ball on some payments. But that wasn't it. That wasn't it. And it is like the villain of bureaucracy because the guy who meets them at the space doesn't give them is very like not my job about it. Yeah. Like just tells them they need to talk to someone else and then they never get to talk to someone else and further bureaucracy or you know systems are described as the villain when Arnie sees this young new person in the office and he's like I know she's young and new and she's going to be able to help us out and she does and then you watch this like ancillary character also discover that she isn't real and what she does isn't real unless someone else makes it so she can't even make a meeting happen right and her entire job is scheduling meetings yeah and then like her hot wash of embarrassment as like a signal communicator of something and was probably psyched that she could make a real difference And like, I remember knowing that feeling very well when I got my first job and I was like, I can make something happen in the immediate for somebody. And it was like, no, no. I had a student who like 
wanted to change their name. They were trans. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is perfect. I'll get you a new name tag. No problem. Apologies for the misunderstanding. And then the student came back and was like, can I get this name on my ID? And I was like, oh, sure. Like, why would this ever be an issue? Mm -hmm. And just realizing that like the very real thing I was able to do doesn't translate into anything very real. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, it was both weird and like disheartening and hard to just sort of like move into and around, especially because like Arnie's constantly throwing his weight and he has senatorial or congressional aspirations. Mm-hmm. And so then when he gets the lawyers involved, I was like, well, this is a done deal. And then like the fact that it wasn't continued to be really weird. And there's just a moment almost at the very end of the book where Linda, whose mentor was this elderly woman named Margie, and Linda's relaying all of this and like her disappointment and that they've got one more year. And Margie's like, that sounds like a lot of brouhaha and like a lot of pain that maybe you don't want to get involved. And like Linda's like, you know what? I'm actually really good at making a fuss and I'm going to make a fuss over this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, Linda's not out yet. Yeah. (laughs) And also like finding where your talents are useful, right? Right. The difference between like a talent and just a trait is like being able to wield it correctly. Right. So being a nuisance in this case is a talent. Right. Your weirdest part? My weirdest part. I have a couple. Okay. The book can't say sex like an adult. Oh God, I know. Like the characters never say, do you want to have sex or make love or even fuck, which is a little... Or bone. Yeah. It's always like, can we have naked time? Which is like very juvenile. Infantilizing. Yeah, just made me feel really uncomfortable. I don't think you should probably have sex unless you can say sex to the person you want to have sex with. I agree. Because the conversations just get harder from there. (laughs) (laughs) So true. The other thing that I thought was weird about this book is that writing about food is super hard. Mm -hmm. And it's true because this super talented writer made food (laughs) sound pretty dumb and boring. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to write about food, but it's something that everyone experiences. And Mm -hmm. so I think everyone thinks they have something interesting to say about it or that they can talk about it, period. Mm -hmm. But food is super hard to talk about because most of what it is, is like a perceived experience. Yes. As opposed to like an actual experience. Like you can watch a movie or read a book and it's easy to talk about because the things that you're talking about were already communicated to you. Mm -hmm. Food doesn't communicate in a really direct way like that. Mm -hmm. And so relaying the information that food gives you, it's super hard to do well. You can say whatever you want, right? You can say, it was a cheesy, juicy burger. (laughs) Like, you can say that, but that tells me absolutely like no real information about the burger. You know, I learned more about the characters through the way in which they ate food. Like, I'm glad that you brought up the burger because like, I agree, food was weird in this. Also, like, not fetishized, but like there's a lot of food in this book and yeah. none of it seems particularly appetizing. Yeah. But there's a scene. But there is still something like culturally communicated in the food. Right. Or like at least not only culturally, but also like personally, because like there's this moment where Henry takes his uncle to like a trendy burger place. Yeah. And like there's this scene of like watching Arnie try to get his like hands around the burger and he can't because it's like too full and like the bacon's like spilling. Yeah out of it and he's like no I feel like I need a shower and I'm like what the fuck kind of burger did you eat that you but feel like so you have to shower burger place will destroy a boomer faster than anything else <laughs> 
Because in their mind, they're like, I know a burger. Yeah, and then they meet it, and they're like, this or is they not meet what just I intended. the environment in which the burger is served. Right, which was like, very hip. And they're like, devastated, like torn asunder by it. I thought that was really good. I mean, the food place sounded stupid. Like, it does mini foods. Yeah, that place was really funny. It was a bad concept. <laughs> but the fact that he was able to find somewhere that was good, cheap, and interesting also yeah. spoke to, like, what his interests are and what his talents are, which is, like, finding good shit. Yeah. And finding specifically good stuff. But, yeah, the, the food, food thing. thing was, like, I got what it, I think it was meant to convey, but I was just, like... Yeah. There was some weird stuff. The food, you're right. Food was operating, like... <laughs> As I think it's meant to operate in novels, but it was like, yeah, there was something weird about it. I remember like the description of what a hot dog tasted like, and I was like, where am I? (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing, is like tasting a hot dog is something everyone has done, but I don't think anyone would ever describe the same way. And so it just sounded like like some alien experience (laughs) to me, hearing how eating a hot dog goes for another person. It's true. It's really true. Also, the fact that, like, there's only one true sex scene in the sense of, like, a penetrative PNV, whatever. There are a couple mm. of cuddle scenes, but most of the sex scenes are fade to black, and then we immediately yeah. come up on the aftermath. Yeah, and really in, like, a very, like, it's end of chapter. Yeah, and then we, like, they're in bed sweaty and, like... The in- next chapter. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> why it, do this? It's really hard to write a sex scene. It's and so hard. It's embarrassing. It, if you can't do it then like don't I got good stuff out of it that's a good segue actually what was your sexiest part I have two and they're very typical (laughs) Isabeau sexiest can I do my sexiest part since I just have one and mine might knock one of yours off of the list I bet it will I liked when they were in the office supply closet oh cute okay was that it one of yours it's gonna be a long episode sorry everybody So after they have sex for the first time, they Mm -hmm. go to work and they're still trying to behave professionally, which Mm -hmm. I find very relatable. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, first of all, actually hooking up with someone from work. And then being (laughs) professional and like not having people know immediately. Well, just like hooking up with someone from work. I just like making that like a real fantasy and like actually pursuing it. It comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I know like in real life it comes up a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's something that, and perhaps this is why it's my sexiest part. It's something that seems so absurd to me <laughs> that it's like reads as like total fantasy like when I read about it I don't think like even though this book actually does point out that it makes things uncomfortable for other people like, yeah and I tend to constantly think about sex making other people uncomfortable anyways <laughs> but when I read about like a scene where they've just had sex for the first time and they're in the office and they get this moment alone in the supply closet and they're not actually able to gather the displ- <laughs> the supplies because they're too giddy and they giggly so about giddy. being alone together and like trying to keep it a secret yeah like that can read as pure fantasy to me just because the idea of actually actually hooking up with someone from work yeah I loved that scene that was really good because you also get her interiority where she's like thinking about him like throwing her up against the wall like her knee on his hip and like that's a like a visual that we should have gotten in a sex scene and then didn't but to have it in this moment of like joy and giddiness where they're just like really into each other but like can't consummate was actually really pleasant and segue 
segues nicely into <laughs> one of my sexiest parts where she's just had this like sad experience with her grandpa and he got kind of lost that night and mm. so she was feeling really vulnerable. It is such an Isabel part. It is. And um, so she's like vulnerable and so she like, you know, leans in, grabs him by the shirt and like leans in to kiss him but he leans away and then she reads his face as like, oh no. And then she like immediately ditches, runs up to her house, locks herself in and it's just like tossing and turning for the next 45 minutes and then there's a knock at her door <laughs> and it's Henry and he's like um can I have that kiss now and she's like what and he's oh, like I loved it I that know was so, so good. good and he's just like <laughs> you know like because you told me that we worked together and you like you weren't into what I was throwing down and like you wanted to keep it professional and then like we had this experience and you were really vulnerable and I didn't want to take advantage of that and then like you were gone before I could tell you all of this and I've just been walking around your apartment like coming up with the right words and so like the right words is like can I have that kiss now and then she's like yeah and then they kiss again but he never like gets out of the doorway and it's just so nice where he's like I want you I want you to know that I want you mm-hmm. but I'm not going to take advantage of how you're feeling right yeah, now yeah oh my god I was just like tore up yeah, about I, it I want to make sure that this heightened emotional state is for not, me it's for me it's not just for everything else you're going through right oh my god I was tore up which like makes him such a great hero like yeah. he is so he does have one of these things that I think is very special in a human straight male if you find it which is being perceptive of what's going on around in the bigger picture and mm-hmm. stuff and so in that way it's also just like a very good romance novel hero yeah and Pamela Sanderson has found something that is like universally wanted I think think and true and once again is not banging your head like yeah over and over with it I I think this book is a romance oh yeah unquestioningly for me I'm gonna recommend this to everyone this is a romance and this is one of those books that gets recommended a lot whenever own voices comes up but people talk about this book just because it's an own voices and that does make it special and that does make it important but more than that it's just a very good book and I think if people talked about it for all of it as like a whole it's not just a book about Native Americans written by a Native American it is more than that just a very good romance novel Mm -hmm. and completely unique and exactly what you're looking Mm -hmm. for you know if you want a book that breathes if you want a book that doesn't hit you over the head with a political project in a really ham-fisted way you know I do think there's also something about experiencing something that's not white centered in the fact that it's also not pointing out that it's not white centered right which which is is like missing from a But like comes back to the why this book, I think, makes a lot of lists and own voices where it's like representation is so important Mm -hmm. and so critical just to decenter whiteness. And like that's what's so great about this book in that way. But But also also, only talking about it in the context of own voices. Bullshit. Is tokenization. Yeah. And so the book is super good. So good. Isabeau picked it up. I did. I got it from Love's Sweet Arrow in mm-hmm. Tinley Park. Um, was really excited to get it. I will definitely get the second one. Yeah. I love this author. And like one of the other things that was great about this author is that in her acknowledgement, she goes out of her way to say that the cover, the two people on it are not native. And she talks about a very specific problem in stock photos for romance, that there isn't enough color. Yeah. And that it's hard to get a representative cover because of it. And but then also, she- here's another thing. Maybe romance publishers should just invest in these actors 
actually very good books yeah. and hire models exactly. and do a photo shoot. Exactly. And then she talks about how she tried Create to do that. something that doesn't exist in the world. Right. And she tried to do that herself but couldn't get it together in time or like the constraints of the budget and everything yeah. else. Then she makes a call for photographers and models and like puts mm-hmm. her email in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is what it means. Investing in covers. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to signal boost voices. Like, mm-hmm. and God, I love this book. <laughs> it's so good. I would never think that I would like a slice of life contemporary romance. And I loved it. It was exactly what I needed. So definitely a romance for me. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like unrestrained. Yep. Not even like no caveats. Like this is a good romance. This for me feels more like what I want from romance. Escapism. Finding value in myself. Learning something new. Mm-hmm. All of the best stuff. Just done tactfully and cleanly and thoughtfully. Yeah, and wrapped up in the story and never doing like weird asides and cliffs notes and footnotes. Mm -hmm. She was wearing a handkerchief because it was the sixth month of grieving. (laughs) In the previous four months, she read all the following. Like nothing like that. Nothing like that. Just super great. Yeah, romance. Romance. Any other final thoughts? There's an extremely long discussion about the type of cuddler a person is yes. and needs, and I was thrilled by it. I did not care for it, actually. <laughs> Uh, if you want a weird deep dive on the kinds of cuddling that there are, are might I recommend. one person's perspective on the kinds of cuddling there are, and if it's important for you to typify and categorize people based on every single thing that they do in their cuddling. lives. Cuddling. Not everything, just the cuddling. I also love that both of their cars were different kinds of junkers. He drives a van that fits 12 people in it. <laughs> because he's going to be a van manager. I, know, I love it. I, like, I also love that he was like, start with the van. It's just like such a young move. Like, we'll get it as long as we got the van. Because you do have to drive all that. All the gear. To the shows. Yeah. All right. Womance. Womance with that. Loosen your stays. Never your principles. Mwah. Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabel. That's me. And Morgan. That's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frog podcast network discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast until next week Mwah. <laughs>